But that made me sort of realize that, hey, you know what? It, it doesn't matter whether you know stuff or not. You still have to have that confidence that, and, and portray that confidence to your patients because that is the only way they're going to go, wow, I really trust in, in their ability and no matter what they're saying, I'm going to go along with it. And after five years of study, come on, you guys know your stuff. You just got to believe yeah. in yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Don't fake it till you make it. Welcome back to the Forever Young Podcast, a Chinese medicine-based podcast by students for pretty much anyone that wants to listen. I'm Brendan, and I'm joined by three other co-hosts. We've got Charlene. Hello. Timmy. Hey. Nick. Yo. And we are joined today by a special uh, a special, special guest named Boris. Special, 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 special guest. <laughs> special, special. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, Boris, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. So basically, um, uh, first of all, can I just say that I'm really enjoying your podcast. It's actually such a really cool feel that you guys are sort of created with this podcast. It sort of feels like it's a, you know, a student study sesh where you just discuss a couple of topics that you've come across at uni. And um, it's actually really interesting to hear because some of the topics, like when you were going into clinic and you're discussing that, kind of made it really feel like, wow, I actually had those same experiences when I was going to clinic as an osteo. So... Basically, I'm, I'm an osteo, and um, so I w- I've worked in private clinic, clinic for about, I don't know, about five or six years or so, um, and now I'm back at university being a lecturer and sort of helping impart some osteopathy wisdom to some of my students, which has uh, always been a bit of an interesting experience. Um, so a bit about my background history is um, I started here as studying human movement or exercise science. And before that, I used to be doing a lot of personal training, working in gyms and so forth. Um, and then after doing a bit of work with exercise science and uh, completing that course, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become an osteo. Because as I was uh, going through all my studies, I went to observe physios and chiros, and I found that osteopathy was probably the best um, option for me because I really liked the way they were hands-on and and sort of managing their patients and working through, you know, through their conditions. And as a result, I thought, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to be an osteo. And uh, that's where I've ended up. So a couple of years later, in private practice. So that's really cool that you actually have clinical experience in private practice rather than our experience, which is very student-based. <laughs> <laughs> so what is osteo for those that don't know? So basically, osteo at the moment currently is more based around musculoskeletal conditions and at the moment sort of sits around the biomechanical kind of model of of practice. And what does that mean? It means that we basically assess a patient, we look at the dysfunctions that are going on and then using our techniques, we usually correct those. So, you know, if you find a segment's not moving, we make it move better. And uh, we just follow that process through to, you know, make the patient feel better and, and help them help their body recover, which is very similar to what Chinese medicine does in the sense that we don't actually fix the patient. The patient fixes themselves or heals themselves, uh, but with a little bit of guidance and intervention from us. Yeah, from, from my little experience of, like, going to see an osteo and things like that, from personally what I've seen and coming out of osteo is that I'm sore. And that's something that's like pretty, a little bit foreign to me, which I really like. And also 
the the use of exercise. And I know that you guys use exercise a lot in terms of your therapy. Is that right? And uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, back in the day, like I suppose when I first started, it wasn't really widely accepted. But there's more and more, I suppose, evidence to say that you know most of the healing process actually occurs outside of of your treatment. So you basically just give the the body a bit of a nudge in the right direction. That's how I sort of explain it. Um, and then with the person doing their own individual activities and exercises, it actually helps recondition their body um, and improves their, their problem. So you said you um, you saw like a lot of Cairo and other modalities. So what made you, like what were the actual differences between like osteo? Why did you be like, this is actually the best? Well, to be honest, I don't know whether it was the, t- the physio or the Cairo that I actually visited, uh, but from my opinion, it didn't really instill their type of treatment style really would suit my beliefs at the time. Um, And I don't want to say that physio or chiro are not good. They're all absolutely awesome professions in their own little right. And they have their their place, so to speak, within that sort of allied health profession. But I just feel that osteopathy sort of encompasses more of a holistic approach. And it's not always, um, you know, one tool that they use for the problem. We have a number of tools in our toolbox that we can utilize. So whether it's manipulation or whether it's soft tissue work or whether it's exercise prescription, um, we do have a wide array of, um, you know, of tools that we can pull up and, and tailor towards an individual's uh, you know, presentation of, of what their problem is. Have you ever faced like, a challenge that seemed like, impossible at the time? And that, like, how did you like, sort of get over that? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's broad. And that's, <laughs> and that's very broad. I think, um, I think everything is a bit of a challenge. Like, you know, every new patient's a bit of a challenge to try and build up that rapport, first of all. Um, but then after a while, after you've seen a few conditions, you sort of realise that all of them kind of merge into the, the same kind of presentation. And it's, it's usually not so much like a overcoming a challenge it's more like just trying to find the right solution to the problem there's always a solution right because i always focus on you know why something happens and try and work out a solution but in the broader sense anything's a challenge like i say when you were studying uh, a lot of challenge trying to find exams and find the time to, to learn everything and then when you get out in private practice just trying to get the patient numbers up and, and trying to educate your patients and try and keep it you know, basic language that they can understand and then from there progressing forwards to, you know, when you get a condition that you've never seen before and you have to be honest with your patient going, hey, you know what, I never studied that condition and I'm going to have to look it up but in the meantime, I know that I can do this, this and this and we can get you more comfortable until we kind of find out a bit better solution for it. Yeah, on that, on that, I've always wondered how do you, how do you, uh, combat or how do you engage with those type of situations where you literally have no idea how to treat this one condition like not that it's not outside your scope but it's something that you really haven't looked at so much we get that every here and there where where we treat but it's not necessarily like it not that we can't do it but it's just an interesting way of how we do it because we can narrow it narrow it down or put it in a way that we can interpret but i always wondered how you guys would do it yeah so Pretty much exactly the same way, really. And it's basically, in my opinion, I feel that 
it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you at the start build up that really confident rapport with your patient so your patient really feels comfortable with you and goes you know what this is the person that's going to help me overcome this problem and I trust in them even though you know he might be a little bit unsure about what's going on I feel that if I stick with this person I feel confident that they'll find the answer and they'll guide me in the right direction and so it's basically just do what you can at the time and yeah. do what you know yeah and then you just sort of outline the patient look this is I'm not 100% sure with this and from here I'm going to go away or do a bit of research um and I think it's a couple of these, like, you know, difference to your differentials when you sort yeah. of outline a couple of different scenarios and you go, oh, it doesn't really fit into these, but I know that it's potentially this one or two. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I'll do a treatment for one, and if that doesn't resolve the problem in a couple of days, well, then it's probably the second differential. Yeah, I think that's really, like, important, that whole, like, being honest with a patient when they come in and you're like, I just don't actually know what's going on like i've got some idea but really there's a lot to like research um and i feel like it's probably like more so in our um stuff is because of like herbs and stuff so you're like you're you're very complex and i don't really know what formula i want to give but like we'll just start here and (laughs) i'll read Start with the basics yeah and i'll read throughout the week uh (laughs) and yeah read throughout the week and i feel like that's it's not so much taught in uni i feel it's like when you leave here it's like you have to know everything but really you don't and there's yeah gonna be times where you're like i just don't know yeah Yeah. and i think you're 100 right i think after you finish uni you go into private practice thinking i have to know everything patients are relying me to like help them and and i'm going to fix their problem and uh, you know, I'm, I'm an osteo, I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner, I'm going to be awesome at what I do and I'm going to help everyone. Uh, and then you come across someone that you just go, oh man, I never covered this in uni. Oh, what? Like, I've never heard this presentation before. And then it's a matter of just going, well, let's stick with, like you said, Charlene, like, stick with what you know and understand that it's not going to be contraindicative to the actual person and you're going to hurt them. And then from there, you just build it up. Yeah, I've always wondered. Um, at the time, like now that you're practicing and you're pretty much deep into your profession and things like that, uh, something that I was thinking about the other day was how your level of treatment, in a way, um, even in ways of like you're seeing progress in your patients, uh, how is that? Have you combated the idea of seeing the progress within your patients and using that as not your worth, but your level of I guess your level of skill within your field. Like, do you know how you would be like, oh, I've, I just treated like the craziest patient and you're like, oh, I'm the best. But sometimes it doesn't always go go that way. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and uh, especially us being a student clinic, like we're all constantly questioning our own abilities yeah. and capabilities and like that. So as you, uh, that was a really roundabout way of asking this question, but um, <laughs> for you to be deep in your profession. Yeah. I don't even know what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get there, guys. I, I think I know what you're trying. You, you try. You try. You get me. Yeah. No. Even though you can't. I completely zoned out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the point. That's the point. Don't worry about it, guys. It was all. It was all a facade. It was all a facade. Don't worry. Just needed to fill time. What you're saying is, how do you, um, how do you? <laughs> it's hard to. Yeah, that's that you don't that's get what you're saying. saying how you're do you do? Finding it hard to to, to explain it, but yeah. essentially, what I think what I'm trying to ask, I think, is that um, as students. Yeah. Uh, 
practicing, we're constantly questioning our own capabilities. Now that you're in your profession, do you find there's times where you question your question capabilities? Totally. Absolutely. So I sometimes feel like I question you. I think it actually makes a good practitioner that you always question your ability because I don't think you can ever really approach anything with a massive ego saying that I know it all because there's always learning to be done. So um, on, on in that scale, you really do want to always question your ability and, and never really think that you're awesome, but you can always have those little wins where you go, you know what, I'm actually really good with shoulder conditions. I'm just smashing all of those. Or I'm really good with lower back issues and I'm really smashing all of those. And then you might come across, a, let's say, a headache that you just go, whoa, that's just really questioning whether I'm good as an osteo or not. And it's a really good question because you sort of sit down and you go, how do you, how do you know you're making a difference? And it's basically all those patients that always come back to you and they go, wow, you know, that technique you did, that was awesome, uh, that... Uh, you know, tr course of, of acupuncture was, was amazing or, or those herbs made you feel really good. And that's how you sort of build your self-esteem and your confidence as a practitioner because yeah. when I first started, man, I had so many where I was just like, I don't even know if I'm doing the right thing for you. I don't know if I'm applying the right techniques. Uh, but the more and more they come back and they're like, hey, you know what? That actually really worked. Um, and then you change up your technique a little bit and they might come back and go, well, I felt really terrible after that. You're like, okay, I know that that doesn't work for me. That's not the way I like to treat, but the amount of times I can say, you know, I remember this one patient, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> All right. This is the key, best key. way to outline your, your capabilities. So I had this female patient, would have been in her maybe mid-30s or something like that, um, went off and did some boating at one point, and um, she injured her back, it was a really acute like facet strain or one of those kind of presentations, and I was like, you know, all gung-ho, young osteo coming out. So I did my treatment and it didn't really make it a whole heap better, but it did from, from a clinical perspective. I was looking at her move and I was like, that, you, you know, you felt, it looked better, right? So she came, I said, you've got to come back to me in two days' time. It's quite acute. Uh, I'm going to settle it down and so forth. And she's like, oh, well, you know, last time I saw my last osteo, he fixed me up within one go. And I was looking at her notes. I'm like, but this is a different presentation. So already I've got this... Um, you know, pressure of trying to make her better within one treatment, which is kind of what you might Definitely experience. relatable, definitely Absolutely. relatable to that, yeah. And so I guess from a patient doesn't really understand that it's a different presentation, not everything's exactly the same. So she came in two days' time and she was like, oh, I'm not feeling much better. You didn't tape me last time. My last osteo would have taped my back up and stuff. And I was like, you don't need taping. Anyway, so she sat there and the first 10 minutes she started crying because her back was not better Okay. after that initial yeah. thing. And I was just like, oh, wow, wh wh what do you do? Do you, do you sit there and you just like tap her on the shoulder and be like, that's okay, and just try and reassure her. But then I thought at that point, I'm like, I don't even have the self-confidence to reassure her with my words because I would have said, yeah, it's going to get heaps better, but my words wouldn't have had that confidence behind it. So cut a long story short, I managed to cancel her a little bit and, you know, have a bit of empathy with it and tell her it was going to be okay. We did a treatment and it was a little bit better post that, but that made me sort of realise that, hey, you know what? It, it doesn't matter whether you know stuff or not. You still have to have that confidence that, and, and portray that confidence to your patients because that is the only way they're going to go, wow, I really trust in, in their ability and no matter what they're saying, I'm going to go along with it. And 
after five years of study, come on, you guys know your stuff. You just got to believe yeah. in yourselves. Yeah, yeah. that fake it till you make it. Yeah, it's like that little that like that bravado, just that slight bit where you're like, you know, it's because of this, 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 and then you walk out of the room, you're like, I, 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 don't, I just, I just I straight just off the cuff, <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> um, th- you touched on something that I I was gonna ask earlier about the trust. Uh, definitely, yeah. I, I talked to I talked to a couple people about having the trust between your patient and like you. Um, did did you what, during your course did you treat as a student? Is that yeah yeah absolutely. yeah. So did you find that the degree of trust is completely different from when you're a student to being in the profession? Yeah, yeah, but I think as I was a little bit more mature age, and I actually did a fair bit of personal training beforehand, so I sort of had a lot of and worked in hospitality. Of course, it's a big thing, but you can always have a nice chat with people, and I think that's that's the best way to build up that trust aspect of it. Um, but there's a distinct difference, not necessarily in in the practitioner, but or as a student. But hang on, what was I trying to say with that? <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Sorry, you get that. We get that. We're too good at water. just, like just being able to talk to each other and make eye contact with like somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think it's. I think internally, though, it's more like an internal trust thing because as a student, when you're in a student clinic, you know you're a student and you know that people, when they walk in that student clinic, they know it's a student clinic, they sign a waiver saying that, hey, you know, the treatment might work, might not work, it's a student clinic, don't be too hard on, on our students sort of thing, right? That's the disclaimer in a sense. Uh, when you go into private practice, that's when it all changes because people come see you knowing and wanting that you are the expert so there is a distinct there's a change when it changes dynamic yeah. completely is there a pressure do you think there's a lot more pressure yeah absolutely within the first year of practice you're always like like you say questioning yourself questioning your ability um, and, and trying to get that change and I suppose from my personal experiences I think one thing that really changed in my perspective of the way I looked at it was another more experienced osteo told me this and I was doing a little bit of a case review with them about a challenging couple of patients. And I'm like, look, I've been treating this patient for, I've had five sessions with this person. They're not getting much better. They still keep coming back. I don't know why they keep coming back because they're not getting much better. And I feel like I'm kind of at a loss of where to go with them. And this experienced osseo comes up to and, and says, well, obviously they trust you considering they continue to keep coming back and they rebook and they make their appointments they're not cancelling. So take that as like a, a bit of a win for yourself that they do trust you and they do value what you provide. Um, and that after that little conversation that I had, it actually changed my opinion of, of how I practice and going, yeah, you're right. I don't know everything, but there's that level of trust and I'm working hard behind the scenes that the patient doesn't see. I'm trying to improve their, their problem and their condition. So it, it does kind of, you know, build more of your confidence and, and build up your skill right, levels yeah. as well. So you're obviously big on rapport. <laughs> um, how do you teach that? So like you're teaching now and you're obviously teaching like n- new students coming That is hard to teach. It yeah. Is, so yeah. like, because there's obviously people that yeah, just yeah. get it and there's people that just don't get it. Um, and yeah, I've been just teaching like recently now for like probably about six months now. Um, 
you know what? The only best way that you're going to have this taught and instill in you is a school of life. Like, honestly, like <laughs> your life experiences are the ones that are going to teach you the most skills. Um, and I suppose from like a bit about my background is I've always worked with people. So worked in a gym as a fitness instructor back in the day from the age of 19, worked in hospitality, worked in management in hospitality where you had to deal with people, customer complaints and so forth. And that is the best school for how to build trust and rapport and so forth. And on, you know, on the back of that, just recently I've started doing a lot more, uh, I guess, reading in, in communications and body language and, and how to build up trust and confidence. And depending which author you talk to, they all have a different opinion on, on how to manage that. So it's hard to teach, but I suppose you just got to look at people from from a non-judgmental viewpoint and just accept people for who they are and just be human because everyone's human and everyone is human and the best one I think is just talk to someone how you would want to be talked to and so if you want someone to be nice and polite to you you be nice and polite and just what works for you to build up trust or what you've received in the past to build up that trust, you should be able to convey that as well. So I guess, does that explain your question a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Back to primary school rules. <laughs> yeah. No, I was thinking about it because I work in retail personally yeah. and that involves a lot of personal talks and things yeah. like that. Um, did you work in hospitality while you were a student uh, training? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in, hospita- in hospitality and as a, um, as a personal trainer at the time and... Um, yeah, that just being able to have that small interaction with someone, talk about the weather or talk yeah, about it. their kids or whatever to really build up that trust. And um, I think it's within the what, first five or six seconds where people just make a judgment of you straight away. You have to be able to um, smile and have that, the right presence about you so that, and the right body posture to, for people to just go, you know what, yeah, I can trust that person that person knows what they're talking about and I guess on, on that point if you, as long as you smile at someone when you first meet them and you have some nice upright posture and convey that confidence then that's pretty much building up that trust straight away yeah have you ever had like a story where you didn't have a good first impression like someone didn't have a good uh, first impression of you and you like changed <laughs> it or you did some like that, that head some nod, Boris yeah. magic to like change their opinion <laughs> the <laughs> Boris magic like a verbal judo <laughs> you know that verbal judo where you try and change someone's opinion through a conversation look absolutely many a time um, and, and one of the key things t- oh, it's, oh, it's such a complex story because I've got so many of them um, where you know we initially meet someone and they weren't really expecting who they were going to meet or um you know, we were just having a terrible day and the first impression was just a bit rushed or, or not quite quite present. But it's always through the conversation of trying to be relatable to that person. So I've been reading a lot of books about likability, which I think is, is very worthwhile. And there's usually about... There's 11 factors of likability, but one of the key ones is um, trying to find something where you can relate to that person, no matter how small or how deep it is. So I always just keep asking questions, keep keep talking to the person as you know as I normally would uh, pretending like they are actually a friend and, and a colleague that I, that I work with and I suppose by the simple act of behaving like a friend or, or behaving like an individual to them that you want to 
convey, it sort of does eventually build up that trust. And then when you find out things like, you know, whether they'll have pets and they like dogs and you can just connect with them on that level or whether they have kids and you can start talking about their grandkids or, or their children or something like that or um, if they follow football, you can talk about them about their football team, that straight away builds up a fair bit of trust straight away because like, likes like, mm. <laughs> you know. So that's, that's one way what of What if you it. don't like the same footy team though? <laughs> <laughs> Again, Instant <maybe>. beef. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, it's the same thing. You can just connect on the, on the same grounds that you like or you like the activity. So there's, there's a lot of scope for that. And, you know, it's, it's not a simple discussion as what do you do? It's like there's a lot of things you can do. Talking about this, it's we'll do a whole three sixty. Have about you footy? No, no. Talking <laughs> about patients. Have you ever had to fire a patient? Like, have ever, what, sorry. Have you ever had to fire a patient? Because I've been, I'm on this stupid. Is that, is that, the, is that the right term? Fire as the word. Is that no, the right I think term? it's like a no, legit thing. Yeah. That's the right no, term. No, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you like fire the, a patient. It's like a legit thing. It's a legit thing. I've heard of it in different contexts. Yes. So where you tell what? your patient, you go look. I don't think I'm the right sort of practitioner for what? you. We're not making the right sort of outcomes. Um, I almost feel like we need to change our approach. Maybe you see someone else as a result because I feel like I'm not having that right kind of outcome. Mm. Have I ever had to actually have that conversation with anyone? Just saying, I just want to mention that was a great delivery that you had right there. <laughs> I, if, I was, if I was fired by you, I'd be like, Okay, I get it. That's, that's, that's perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's, it's not a, see, but the thing is, it's, if you come from a non-judgmental viewpoint, it's basically just uh, you know, a conversation that you're not the right person for. It's like, you know, when you've ever had to break up with a partner. I, I was going to say, it's that's like you're essentially dumping the patient. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So you just got to have that honest conversation and it's always about... Uh, not saying, hey, it's you, I don't really like your attitude, I um, you're not really following my, my management program. But you can also turn around that patient where you've thought, hey, I'm going to fire you, but then you have that discussion and they go, oh, wait, actually, I, actually I'm going to change and I'm going to be a better patient for you. And that's simply, again, just saying, hey, um, I've treated you four or five times. Because my personal opinion is, if I don't get a good outcome within four sessions, then I'm not the right practitioner for you, whether it's good or bad, because clearly we're not making things worse, so we're not ruling out differentials. We're not making things better, so there's no point in treating further because my skill level is my skill level. Um, so after four sessions, I'm usually having that conversation of, hey, we've tried this, this, and this. I don't think we're going to make a, a long-lasting outcome. How about we change up our, you know, our management program, how about we do this? And I feel that, you know, that might be the best approach. Or if you feel like they're not listening to you, you might be, well, I've suggested all these activities. It doesn't look like you're actually doing those activities or, or following my management program. Um, look, unless I feel that this is the best intervention going forward, if you don't jump on board with this program, then you're not going to get better and I'm not the right person for you. So I'd love for you to keep coming back and seeing me and paying me all this money, but it's just going to be a waste of your time, my time and your money because we're not making any progress. So do you explain to those to patients on the intake that you expect change in four, four treatments? or It depends because... Or like by the end of the first treatment. <laughs> well, absolutely, 100%. So I usually have... I think the best way that I find to get 
patience to buy into your, and I call it buy-in. You know, it's yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like it's a commitment. You, it's a you're commitment. buying in exactly. You got to buy into your treatment plan. No, that's fair. That's fair. I get that. It's like you you got to appeal to their um their, their uh, why they want to no, engage with. Like, Tom's big on that. Always like trying to get people to buy in. He's always selling something to you. Always, always on Oz bargain. I mean, you're selling yourself. I know it sounds not very good, but you're selling your skills, right? So that's exactly right. You're selling your skills and your ability, and that's what people buy effectively is your skills. And so, the best thing to do is like I outline my management plan, and you probably do the same thing as well because I've I've been to Chinese medicine practitioners before, and they do all the same thing. They say this is what we're going to do. This is how many sessions you need. This is the herbs you got to take this many times a day, and I want you to see you whenever, whenever. Um, and I do exactly the same thing. So I'll have that conversation right at the start after assessment and go, look, I've treated this before because straight away by saying those words, they know that, mm-hmm. they build up that confidence, that, that trust. You know, that yeah. Trust, absolutely. I've treated this before. I've seen this before. With your same presentation, um, I know that we can get a good outcome with up to four treatments. And if we don't get a good treatment, well, good outcome after four treatments, then we might have to look at some scans or another approach. But we can cross that bridge once we get there. How about we see you again next week and we, you know, we assess things. If things are going really good by next week, then we might even extend the treatment or, you know, our appointment times a little bit further down the track. But in the meantime, I have this sort of outline for you and let's keep to, you know, keep to that. Um, and then you always have to ask them if that's okay with them or have them think about it or go, hey, d- how does that sound to you or something like that so they actually have a bit of a thought process about what you've outlined. Uh, and that's like such a big thing with pain. It's like understanding their can own condition. Um, I've been doing lots of like research and reading about pain. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's, a lo- it's all about like that understanding. So when they can start to think like, oh, this might actually get better in like four treatments and it's like actually treatable and I'm not going to live with this forever. That's when the changes start before you even get them on the table. Absolutely. Yeah, you I, would know I, more. I did, um, I was in, someone was talking to me about how some people identify with the pain as themselves and I was a little bit sad and I was thinking about how like some people are so, um, like some people that are chronically in pain, they are accepting that they're just going to do that that type of thing basically for the rest of their lives Um, do you have any like experiences of when patients are just really just down in the dumps being like completely pessimistic and just absolutely do you think that that contributes a lot to your treatment outcome 100% absolutely 100% and I'll tell you a story even at the starting point of like my first four months working in private practice is I worked in a GP clinic as an osteo and they referred to me this chronic lower back patient and, you know, being a gung-ho. Gung-ho. <laughs> gung-ho. gung-ho. <laughs> but being a, being a new grad osteo, thinking that I could, you know, heal the world and, uh, and cure everything and fix everything, I, I took this patient on and look, he had, I don't know, a couple of disc herniations and, um, or even had really worn discs three or four levels from an injury from, I don't know, from a work injury or something like that. And basically, he would always walk around in pain and he was getting to that state which is that chronic, depressed, always in pain kind of state where he, you know, 
I see him one day, he's shaven, and then I see him next week, and then he's you know, got, almost got a beard. Like, he's just... His clothes are in tatters. He's just not looking after himself because the pain is so debilitating. And so, you know, after treatment, I would do my treatment, intervention, whatever, and it was all really good. And he'd get moving again, but then the next week, he'd be in a fair bit of pain again. And so... In that instance, it doesn't matter what you really do with a the patient. They're not going to get better. And one kicker that really outlined to me that this guy was never going to get better, and this was before I knew everything that I know now. Obviously, being a first-year grad, I didn't understand about chronic pain and the whole cognitive function and all that sort of stuff and how it interlinks. But he would walk around with an MRI report in his pocket telling how damaged his discs were and everything, and so this is, this is the exact words he said to me. He goes, I walk around with this, and he pulled it out, and it's all this like tattered piece of paper because he obviously folds it up and unfolds it, keeps it in his top pocket. And he goes, this is so that every time I feel the pain, I can pull this out, and then it reminds me of why I feel this pain. It's because my discs are all damaged, and I have no cartilage in them, and all this sort of doom and gloom and catastrophizing the whole event. And I thought you're never going to get better because if you consistently think that because of this MRI report, which is actually a structural thing, and we know that you know 70% of populations or thereabouts walking around with structural defects and they don't feel any pain, then you're not going to get better because you always have that link now with that dysfunction or, or that injury is now linked to your pain and you walk around with a constant reminder in your pocket. So I don't expect you to get heaps better. And, you know, and he went down that whole medication, opioid kind of route where he was just taking meds and not getting much better at all, didn't move at all and it, all that sort of stuff. You're so band-aiding essentially. Correct, correct. And not really dealing with the actual problem. Right. So does that sort of answer your yeah, question Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's, that's something I've been thinking about and I'm like, man, like I wouldn't know. Yeah. Because I've, I've had patients before that have constantly just been like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's just the way life goes. When I'm like, when I'm consulting about their pain, it's yeah. just that's like, pretty classic, though. Ah, uh, it's just the way it is. It's the way it is, you uh, know. Just getting older. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, it's I'm always only that. like sixty. Yeah, always <laughs> that. I've never known how to confront that. Yeah. It's kind of just like, yeah, haha. <laughs> and then <you>, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's another thing with like student clinic, though. Like, there's I don't know, not that we're restricted, but we feel restricted in that we don't want to. Uh, personally, I don't want to give too much because I know I'm not talking for myself because like, oh, I'm still talking. You give so much more. Yeah, but I like... Your ability. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I do Just hold back. Look at you, Boris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because... Well, I'll tell you why, though, because maybe as a student or as my f- first couple of years out and I was, didn't have as much clinical experience but now that I've been practicing for like you know five six years you actually have you're a bit more empowered to say you know what that's rubbish you can you can actually improve that if you do this this and this and if you read this study and that study and you see my other patient you know that I've been treating for a couple of months they're getting better so there's no reason why you can't get better but I suppose with limited experience in clinical practice you can't just sort of go well I know that this works because I've got five patients with the same problem and they've gotten all better but I guess with you know your education levels and you know what you study at uni that should empower you enough that you know more than your patients anyway right yeah it's a degree of credibility in a way yeah yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, especially with like older people who lose hope in terms of their condition. I was just going to ask, yeah, how you inspire that hope again? But I guess you sort of answered that. Yeah, yeah, just verbal judo. I wanted to touch on something. Like beat him up. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. Oh, damn. Um, I wanted to touch on something really, really quick. I'm going to reel it back quite far from what you mentioned. You did mention about how you've seen, uh, your, you have experience with, your Chinese, with Chinese medicine practitioners. Yeah. Uh, what is that experience exactly? Is it uh, working alongside? Is it actually seeing yeah. one? So tell us Absolutely. all about it. Absolutely. So with my experience with um, Chinese med is... Yeah, what's going on? I used to work in a... You guys good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good. <laughs> Sending smoke signals over here. Did you, did you like... And I think you asked darling? the question that I wanted to ask. I'm so distracted. I know, man. And I think you asked the question I wanted to ask, but I wasn't even listening, so... <laughs> continue with the answer. Jesus. Come on, guys. <laughs> so, so, actually, I have to admit, like, I love working with, with Chinese men because the stuff that osteopathy doesn't deal with you deal with really well in the sense that you know we can sit there and we can do some soft tissue work we can manipulate we can stretch this area and stretch that area but we don't necessarily really address the person's sort of energy so to speak and or stress levels or their diet or their internals very well whereas i feel like you guys are placed really well for that and my experience is working in a multidisciplinary clinic where we did have um, chinese med and, and all these other practitioners is that you know, for about 60% of my patients, I would say, you know what, I can deal with all your structural issues, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. I think you'd be best place to get some acupuncture, get some herbal um, remedies, that sort of stuff to, to deal with the other issues that are going on, like their stress, they're not sleeping well, um, their diet's usually a little bit off. And so it, it's a really nice complement where both in tandem work super well to get a really good outcome. Yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's important to push that that cuz like I don't know in the first couple of years of studying Chinese med it's like the world against us type type of mentality but I think it's really good to push that like we're in this together in like this whole health field and that we can all work together and yeah come to the same goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of feel that Chinese medicine in Australia especially is kind of where osteopathy was maybe 10 years ago when no one knew about osteos. Like I'd walk out, even still now, I'll go, I'm an osteo. And they're like, what is that? what's an osteo? What's an osteopath do? And I'm like... Hence why we got you on the podcast. (laughs) 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 Still asking the same questions. (laughs) Yeah, I remember listening to that one. Yeah. Um, And they just look at you like, what's that? But nowadays, you go, I'm an osteo. And they go, oh, yeah, I have an osteo. I see an osteo. And it's kind of, I feel like that's where Chinese medicine is heading into. And it's a very valuable complement to everything else. Um, It's just a shame that it's not advertised enough. And I guess with now, with the new government bodies that have been created in Australia, with Chinese, correct me if I'm wrong, this is just some of what I've heard on the great one that it's, it is going to start building up that bit more of that profile and I think that's exactly what it needs. It needs just a bit more um, public reassurance that what you do is actually valuable for their outcome and their health and that the only way it's going to do that is by having a, a very robust accrediting body, which now you guys have better one, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, it, was a, it was a pretty big step that we... Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know when exactly it was, but we were covered under, under private health insurance and things like that. Yeah. Um, that's, it's a good acknowledgement or like a sign of acknowledgement that we're actually 
you know, within the field now. And especially, it's we still get it nowadays where GPs are kind of like, oh, you know, voodoo. Don't worry, we yeah. still get that as well. Yeah, I, that surprises me because yeah. I, I guess I've just grown up in a, I, I've grown up in a way where I've accepted osteo as yeah. a, like it's, it's like every other treatment. Like it's not something that's either taboo or you know, cut off or anything like that. So it's pretty surprising to hear that, you know, there, there was a degree of like that yeah. type of thing. Look, it was a degree, it still is a degree. Yeah. Yeah. I think within the medical world, osteo is still kind of considered, uh, well, don't go see osteos or, or chiros, go see a physio. Um, whereas it, within the sort of general population, everyone is more accepting of osteos. And it seems like there's a bit more of a shift. Because remember when chiropractic used to be really huge and everyone was had a chiro? Well, I think that's growing out of fashion now a little bit. Now it's more the osteo. Then hopefully the Chinese medicine becomes more in fashion and becomes like more of a longer-lasting thing, which is really well-placed for you guys because you guys are going out and you're going to be practicing in this field. And I can attest to the fact that you know every once in a while I see a new Chinese medicine clinic open up or Chinese medicine practice opening up. And so much so that I have one that's open next door to my practice and, you know, we have a really good working relationship where we refer patients backwards and forwards because, like I said before, I can do some good structural work, uh, but then you guys do a whole heap of other work that, you know, we just don't have either have the time to or not the expertise to, to handle that side of things. And just to cap it off, what's, like, something that still keeps you inspired when it, like, walks in your clinic? You're like... This is why I love my job. People. I love. You know, one of the things that just keeps me going is because you might have the same sort of thing where someone comes in and goes, oh, I've got a lower back pain. So in your mind, you already have this routine that you're going to do for that particular condition, like a respiratory approach that you know works on 90% of people. So you just do it. But what always gets me going is like listening to people's stories. So just dealing with people, listening to their stories, engaging with people, and definitely making them feel better. So you always get a little bit of a personal win and a little bit of drive for the ego when they jump off that treatment table and they go, wow, I feel so much better. And you're like, yep, I know, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and one quick message to all the students that are out there, osteo, Chinese med, Ooh, physio, good chiro, question. whatever. Good question. Um, oh. You really put just them on the spot a, Just there. a quick take you, really, you, you really put them on the <laughs> spot right here. That's it. You should have told me at the start. That's it. Think about it. Oh, man, I could say so much. But I think that What's the take-home message is, is, is um, you know, just be confident in your knowledge and the process of university because everything you need to know and to draw on um, your knowledge base has been covered at university at some point through your five years of study. I guess that's applicable to, to you guys as well. And... You know, you know, you definitely know more than what you think. Definitely know more than what you think. Boris, just really quick, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, oh, yeah, know? better plug your Instas uh, and any, stuff. Plug a Insta, plug a... Do you have Instagram or You know what, Facebook I actually don't, but if people do want to come in and, and try like an osteo treatment, they can definitely come into my clinic. It's in Mooney Ponds in, in Melbourne. Um, just look up Beyond Fitness and um, you'll, you'll find us. On Instagram. We're on Instagram as well. And yeah, I think you, yeah. yeah. Oh. We're across all those. I have to admit, I don't manage it myself. So <laughs> That's I'm not okay. Easy. They have great content regardless. So <laughs> thumbs up whoever, uh, whoever runs that. Yeah, I think I follow the Instagram ones. So. But um, no, well, you know, I'm always around. So I'm really happy to answer questions and things like that. So, 
you know, just hit us up, I suppose. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, really. thank you. Really, really appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll get you back soon. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Part two. Part two? <laughs> part yeah. two. You're, you think you're doing a podcast yourself, is that right? I'm thinking about thinking doing about a, more it. of an osteo-specific podcast, and, um, but that's still in the pipeline. It's, it's going to be worked. So, you know, I'll probably try and get in on, on your show again and try and just... <laughs> and plug it again. Take you back a few guys. That's yeah, yeah. Launch, launch. launch. Into stardom. That's <laughs> like, it. That's <laughs> Remember, we're all here to help each other. Absolutely <laughs> on a roll. Um, so, but no, I will, I'll let you guys all know when, when that Yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't even know the exact details. <laughs> that's it. And so, for those who want to follow Boris and Beyond Fitness... It's Beyond Fitness on Instagram and Facebook. Um, be sure to follow Forever Young on Facebook and the three of us, excluding Tom, have on Instagram. Instagram. So <laughs> you can follow us there. Um, join our Facebook discussion group. I think we've had like one message. It's yeah, lonely, maybe. Yeah, maybe. yeah it is a bit lonely in there. And comment what you would like to hear next. And as always, we're the Forever Young podcast. We'll hear from you next time. Bye. Bye. See ya.